The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hi, and welcome to 5G Talent Talk. I am your host, Carrie Charles. And I'm so glad that you're with me today. We have an exciting episode. We're going to be taking a look at the legal side of 5G. So today I have with me a very special guest, Kevin Jones. He is a partner with the law firm Zublat Jones. So Kevin, tell me more about the law firm and the clients you serve, your niche, and a little bit about your role in the 5G ecosystem. Sure. And thank you for that warm introduction, Carrie. Again, I'm Kevin Jones, partner in the law firm Zublat & Jones. We're located in central New Jersey, and we're a small firm. And as my partner and mentor, Alan Zublat, likes to say, we're the little engine that could. We have a small group, but we have very large clients, and we've been serving primarily the telecom industry for me personally for over 16 years, and Alan Zublat, much longer than that. We've developed wonderful relationships with not only the wireless carriers, but also infrastructure providers, public utilities, and municipalities. We work very closely with a lot of municipalities throughout the Northeast, particularly New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and some New York municipalities, to just facilitate the deployment of wireless technology. And as you know, it's evolved tremendously over the last 15, 20 years, and it's going to continue to evolve probably at an even more rapid pace. So Kevin, when you were a young man, did you say, when I grow up, I want to be in law and I want to be in telecom. I mean, how, how did you choose this area of law? I know it's probably something that a lot of uh, new attorneys or, or prospective attorneys in law school don't necessarily have an, as an option. So tell me that story. Well, I didn't even know what telecom law was really. Most like a lot of young lawyers, I think in law school, I wanted to maybe get a law degree and then I can change the world. And essentially <laughs> that's what I'm ended up doing now, changing it in a different way, you know, deploying yeah. next generation technology and helping people live, learn, and just continue to take advantage of the wonderful technologies. It wasn't planned. I had a job, my first job out of law school, I worked with a, a land use real estate firm, Southern New Jersey, and had a good time there, learned a lot, uh, worked for some wonderful people. And then somehow by chance, I think it was, I met Alan Zublak. He was a, a telecom you know, law firm. I said, hmm, tell me more about this. And we talked. And I think we just had a or wonderful, you know, you get one chance to make a first impression. And I think both of ours equally were, were impressive upon the other and we developed a relationship. And I worked for him and learned from him for a very long time. And Alan Zubat, if you haven't heard of him, most people in the Northeast probably have. He was one of the early pioneers of telecom law, particularly in the state of New Jersey, oh. where the initial stages where carriers were starting to deploy their networks and towns and municipalities and in the public didn't want them in many cases. And he has some great stories about the opposition that he faced representing some of the carriers, some of the infrastructure providers, when everybody wanted their municipal towns to regulate where they put these things. But guess what? They all wanted their little cellular phones to work. And yep. uh, mm -hmm. there's always yep. a happy medium somewhere in between. It's not always happy, but the end of the day, <laughs> um, our firm you know, has been very, very successful in, in helping all these things deployed and sometimes places. And sometimes at the end of the day, the municipalities and the public work with us. 
And that's a good thing. So you develop a synergy, you address obstacles, identify any crossroads that you're going to have to overcome or <laughs> obstacles, and you strategize and, and develop a plan. In our firm, we have a unique collaborative approach, I think. Uh, the attorneys work together. We come up with, we have group discussions and we come up with collaborative approaches because you may know something, but it's really good to have many voices and many thoughts tackle the same issue because strength in numbers at times when it comes to the citing, you know, these sort of things. Yes. And we are in a great industry with a huge future ahead of us, but it's also very complicated right now. So I know that you all are very busy there. So now you have another role. So I remember when I first met you was at ConnectX, Connectivity Expo, and that was in Orlando last year in 2021. And you had just received a certification as a smart city practitioner. And I think this is interesting too, being in law, what motivated you to get this certification? And then what, how do you see that you're gonna be using this? Well, I thought it was an exciting opportunity. The Smart Cities Council, it's a global organization and they work with implementing smart city technologies across the entire world. And at the uh, ConnectX where we met, they had a Smart Cities Academy. Uh, and I was certainly intrigued being on the, the legal side of things and also the consulting side of things. And also just, I wanted to learn more. I'm representing clients that are deploying this technology, which is ultimately going to hopefully create connected smart type cities. So there was, it was a pretty rigorous course and we had many lectures and actually the certification became complete about a week or two later when you actually had to take an exam. And uh, <laughs> upon taking and passing that exam, uh, they issued a smart cities practitioner, certified smart cities practitioner certification. I think at this time, there are probably more now, but at the time there were about 300 plus folks with that certification. So it was very informative to me. And I really think that as we continue to see these smart cities grow around us, these uh, concepts and, and approaches that I learned, I think, can really be helpful. Yes, and it can also be very, very helpful for your clients as well. And I'm curious, what is your approach when you're working with municipalities, representing your clients? I know there are so many challenges here. And as you know, we're deploying small cells, infrastructure. I mean, there's just a lot of challenges that the providers are dealing with. And so what would you say, I guess, walk me through that process or your approach when you're working with the cities? Sure. That's a great question. A lot of times you'll have municipalities who are very interested in this technology, but don't do the first thing about it. I think the first step, and, and I think it always works well for me, is to speak with the decision makers in the municipality, speak with the mayor, speak with the council, to let them know what a particular carrier may want to um, deploy. Let them know how it can benefit the particular municipality. Let them know all the different ways that this can possibly benefit their constituents and benefit their public and you know, the people that elect them and keep them in office, because they're going to have to pitch it to them. And if they understand it better, sometimes it makes it easier for them to work you know, with any entity to deploy it. There are also new federal laws. So the FCC passed what they call the 5G order for a few years, and it really changed the landscape. One of the, the title of the order, part of it is the rapid deployment of advanced telecommunications or 5G. So that allows carriers and infrastructure providers to place telecom equipment in the right of way. So a lot of folks weren't aware of that or they didn't know the parameters of the law. So it's a good discussion to have with the, like I said, the local decision makers, public utilities who own a lot of the infrastructure, 
a lot of these small cells that will deploy, you know, 5G or smart city technology or deployed very close to the end user. So they're going to be on existing light poles, existing telephone poles and infrastructure that typically 10 years ago, we didn't install many antennas on a light pole outside of your business. Uh, but because of the way 5G technology works, because of the, the capacity needs and the need to be close to the end user, they have to be closer to the ground level, if you will. So a lot of times right. towns aren't aware of this. So it makes sense to show them. You, you come with demonstrations and photo simulation and site walks. Like I've been on site walks with uh, multiple municipal officials and historic preservation folks to talk about where these things should go, strategically develop plans that involve sometimes stealthing. And there's some very creative designs that I've seen that, that disguise small cell antennas as light posts or as just poles that you wouldn't know contain wireless equipment someone didn't tell you. And that's the goal a lot of times. And if you think about it, you're used to seeing telephone poles and light poles our whole lives. We've seen those, we've seen those ugly wires, but we kind of need that for the electricity and the telephones and all of those things. So when you deploy something on that existing infrastructure, it's really not a huge visual impact many times because we're used to seeing these big transformers outside of our business window. If you put an antenna about size of a Home Depot bucket, (laughs) many people won't even know. So, and the the benefits, certainly in most cases, in all cases, in my opinion, but I'm biased, outweigh any detriments there. So I think a good, to answer your question, address what you were saying is work directly with with the municipalities. I often reach out to the solicitors or the attorneys. We speak about the laws. Let's get your arms around this new federal FCC order, which is very widespread and it has a lot of nuances that not only allow carriers to deploy, but it also allows the municipality to work with the carriers and and determine where and how these are deployed. And I always feel a collaborative approach is the best way to do it. You have, you have honey and vinegar, you know, approaches. And I, I tip, <laughs> and 99 out of 100 times, I always come with honey. And I've been pretty successful in developing good relationships. And in many cases, developing successful uh, deployments of, of 5G technology. And mm-hmm. down the road, this will lead to, as they continue to understand this technology and evolve, it will also lead to smart cities. You know, we're in the fledgling stages, I think, in the United States of, uh, in terms of smart cities. There's a few cities are, are out there now, but I think in the next three to five years, you'll see more and more of this technology being deployed. Some of that technology is like autonomous vehicles, connected cities, smart kiosks, digital lighting, digital parking. We worked with one of the major cities in New Jersey from one of the major carriers to work with law enforcement to enhance something called shot spotter technology. So when you have, unfortunately, high crime areas, this really helps local police and first responders deal with shots, which is actually gunshots and things of that nature. But yeah. it's amazing technology. It works in real time. And 5G has been around for a few years, but when it's deployed with 5G, it works even faster. So you always want to you know, do whatever you can to make cities operate more efficiently, safer, and just have a more productive and streamlined, efficient uh, deployment of public resource. So how do you help the cities, I guess, either become a smart city or put, deploy more of these technologies? Well, there are a lot of options out there. A lot of times we speak to the mayor and the CFOs or the uh, town managers. You know, the recent Infrastructure Act that was passed right around the same time we were in Orlando, I think it was around November. In that bill, there's a lot of opportunity for broadband funding and 5G funding for municipalities to secure to help with this, because obviously funding is always a problem. And funding is always something that sometimes precludes what a municipality may want to do. So a lot of times working with carriers and carriers also want to deploy their 
their 5G installations throughout municipalities. And it's good that the towns will know that, of course, it's going to benefit you and your customers, but it can also benefit us, our first responders. We can streamline our entire public work system in terms of the parking, as I mentioned, you know, traffic cams and all of those things, law enforcement and fire companies and things of that nature, or they all benefit from it. It's a big ecosystem. And the three tenets of Smart City, uh, the Smart Cities Academy, and they highlight these things every day, livability, workability, and then finally sustainability. So I think all of those things go hand when deploying smart city infrastructure. It's new. A lot of towns have to figure out how to do it. How do we fit that in our budget? And if we do, we have to sell this to our, yeah. our folks. And a lot of times carriers are going to come in and try to expand and continue to enhance their networks anyway. So when you have this 5G order that allows them to place these in the rights of way, it's kind of the best of both worlds. So now you know that the carriers are going to have more reliable networks and higher speed you know, data. It's all about data. Collecting data, storing data, and distributing data is really what all of this technology entails. You like to drive in a car through a city. And you have kids, and like mine, who likes to watch YouTube, and he's watching a 4K video as you're driving through the city. And you'd like to do that for him to do that. Anyway, be quiet. Right. right. <laughs> and, and without right. Any interruption and buffering, if you're having a call, if you're, if you're having a Zoom like we're doing now, and you're moving or you're on, on an airplane or a train, enhanced technology can help all of those things function you know, much better. And right. Pandemic that a lot of people work from home and learn from home. And this infrastructure was really tested. The capacity of the existing infrastructure was probably tested and strained. And you realize in some places, they don't really have very good connectivity here. Right. All this stuff kind of works together to create ecosystems and, and just better communities for all. Yeah, I listened to you speak and it just makes so much sense. I could see how you would create a collaborative working environment and it just, but you know, there's gotta be so many challenges or some challenges that you face with your work. And again, your work with your clients, your work with cities, your work with just in general. So can you talk a little bit about those challenges that you see on a regular basis and then how you deal with those challenges? Sure. I recently, maybe a year and a half ago, worked with one of the largest urban cities in New Jersey and one of the largest wireless caverns to bring 5G technology and infrastructure within the rights of way. So people initially, I think there was some apprehensive, there apprehensive uh, feelings and they said, well, why us? Our response a lot of times was, well, why not you? And this urban city is surrounded by universities. It's surrounded by a lot of institutions and public business centers and public government centers and businesses and state government uh, buildings where everyone works. So it's really well traveled. People may not always may not live there, but they travel to and from this particular city all the time. So it was a long marathon, certainly not a sprint. We love sprints, but this was a marathon. We worked with the mayor, we worked with the council, we worked with, with individual education institutions, we worked with the fire department, the police department, the public works, and tried to get them to understand how this uh, could benefit them. And I think at the end of the day, after a long road, they approved it. And now they're one of the, you know, they're, this carrier is starting to deploy in the city and they're going to be a smart city, one of, the, one of the few smart cities in the state of New Jersey. So they're ahead of the curve here. And I think maybe this could be five years back. We'll look at this as a success story and po possibly a roadmap and how to deal with an urban deployment. And not too far from this urban center, somewhat affluent suburban area, not too far, literally 10, 15 miles apart from the city I was referencing. And this wireless carrier wanted to deploy 5G there. And this is more challenges, different challenges to different particular municipalities. So we 
had challenges. We, same approach. We worked with the mayor. We worked with the township solicitors. We worked with the council, presented in front of the council. And I think, again, if you, you educate and you enlighten everyone and provide them with all the information they need, you answer all of the questions, you hopefully they leave no stone unturned. You work with the public utility. So, you know, you're essentially, you're creating not an adversarial position, but it's more of a, a partnership this particular municipality because it's a long-standing uh, relationship and hopefully down the road town benefits just as much as everyone else with these deployments so it's an ongoing process probably across the entire nation across the world and our firm is, is an integral part of assisting um, all sizes sounds like it requires an enormous amount of patience as well right <laughs> it, does. it does on both right. sides on both sides because mm-hmm. you want to make sure each side understands obviously everyone has an end game goal but at the end of the day, these goals could shift and things can change. So you create a lasting relationship and that collaborative approach in the beginning that you create, hopefully, helps you evolve as the future technology evolves. And we all know what we have today in five years is going to be probably obsolete in many areas. So we'll be adapting to the ever-evolving telecom space. Yeah. You know, you have a unique perspective where you are seeing both sides. So you see it from the carrier point of view and you see it from the city point of view. So do you think that this really gives you an edge in what you do? I think so. I think I'm able to gain a dual perspective from both sides. Mm -hmm. You understand what the needs and wants of each particular side are. And it's not, my goal is to never pit one against the other. It's It's, as I mentioned multiple times, to get everybody to work together. I think we all have common goals. I think towns, I think carriers, I think buildings, I think people who live and work in particular towns, they all have common goals. They'd like connected cities at the end of the day. I mean, I think 10 years of speaking to some of the industry leaders, we're going to have autonomous vehicles ubiquitous everywhere. And that's hard to imagine now. But if you look now, you'll see EV charging stations everywhere. You're seeing more Teslas on the road. Now, not just Teslas, you see Chevys and Fords and, and Hondas and Nissans are creating electric vehicles that also have autonomous driving capability. And to do that, for any of that to work, obviously, there's a lot of legal red tape and regulations that will certainly come along with it. But you also need the core of that. And the core, the foundation of any of that is a robust wireless infrastructure because of the capacity, because of the data that's going to be required. So the long road ahead, but I see it evolving. I see successes and I see progress each and every day. So that's what makes it exciting to me. Yes, yes, yes. I just bought my Tesla and I got a, a Model 3 and I got it. I had to wait like three months. And then I had this charger installed in my garage and it feels so good just to pull in and plug it in. Right. And then I unplug it and I drive away and it's just such a great experience. But my kids also have Model 3s as well. And I don't know, we're just a Tesla family and it's been awesome. So I can see exactly what you're saying. The piece of it that I'm struggling with and whoever's listening to this like five, 10 years from now is going to go, why is she saying this? But it's the, the fully automated driving features. I'm just not there. So I didn't get that. I'm just not quite there yet. But I can see exactly what you're talking about and see the future. And, you know, talking about the future a little bit more, do you see from your perspective, right? So from where you're sitting on the legal side of 5G, any trends in our industry or anything that we need to pay attention to or anything interesting that you're seeing? I think the FCC has its finger on the pulse of what's to come and what needs to happen maybe to deploy this technology more rapidly. There's often, always, anyone in this industry will tell you that, there's regulatory lag that just slows projects down. 
and you get caught in regulatory lag and deployments are, are, are delayed and delayed and delayed. And sometimes it, it's, it's counterproductive. You know, if you have something, you have a launch date or, or a prospective launch date of a year from now, and you get caught in multiple delays, for lack of a better term, for multiple regulatory reasons. It could be at the local level, the state level, you know, the county level. You also have environmental groups and a lot of things that all are, are factored in in terms of the, the newer FCC regs. But sometimes this can be difficult to navigate. And there are many potholes that you have to navigate over and through to ultimately get to yes. And that's the challenge. And, and that's one of the models of our firm is no matter what, we're going to try to get to yes. And by yes, I mean a collaborative, hopefully reach solution that everyone is happy with. And not always. You know, that's a very, yeah. that's looking through very well. Right. Most cases I see everybody, using right. even if it's a very tough process and both people are, have very strong positions on each end of the spectrum, at the end of the day, the goal is to reach a solution that everyone can live with and forward this technology. Because it's coming. If you look at some nations, you look at New Zealand or Singapore, some parts of Japan, they have already deployed smart city technology. I know the autonomous vehicles in certain areas, but that's still to come. But, yeah. but I do know not just autonomous vehicles, but EVs are becoming more attractive. As you said, your whole family has them. Probably celebrating that decision right now when you see the price. Yes. <laughs> Breeze by the gas stations and don't even have to worry about it. Just plug in your car like you do your phone every night and charge it, right? So there you go. Pretty good uh, solution to this gas issue we're having. Right. I want to talk just, just a touch on talent because on the podcast, I like to highlight different areas of telecom and 5G and technology and look at, okay, where can our, our young people and really people who want to, to change careers or use transferable skills, I mean, where can they go within this ecosystem to find their next career journey? And this is one of them, which is the legal side, right, of 5G. And my son is in law school now, and then my daughter is actually going to go to law school. I don't know how I became so lucky. I love attorneys, by the way, but it's going to be an interesting family dynamic. But there are other opportunities and so many opportunities for talented people to get involved with our great industry in different areas. And legal is one of them. And so I'm sure that at times you're hiring and you're open to new talent, right? Sure. Well, I think in terms of attorneys, it often happens organically to practice the telecom law. Again, I don't remember any course or any <laughs> right. law school that mentioned telecom at all. It's kind of a hybrid uh, collection of different areas of the law, from land use to zoning to planning to corporate law. And there's a lot of other areas of it, you know, the real estate aspect of it, public governance law aspect of it. So it's kind of a hybrid area. I think a general legal practitioner with an interest in telecom could really find a happy space embark on a wonderful career in telecom law. And again, telecom law is a niche practice, but it also involves many areas of the laws I mentioned earlier. So real mm -hmm. estate is huge. You have to find and, and lease infrastructure or area and space to deploy these antennas. Everything's not going to be in the right of way. You need buildings, you need water tanks, you need to work with municipalities, you need to work with power companies and all of that. And a lot of the infrastructure providers, the power companies of the world, or probably great places to embark on a career as well. I know many, many folks who have worked with yeah. these tower companies for their entire careers, pretty much, and, and, and they love it. They love what they do, and it, it's pretty interesting work you know, across the board. You know, there are a lot of different roles from site acquisition specialists working, finding these sites. You have to identify the sites. You have to negotiate with landlords. So there's so many different roles, and again, it, it's a wonderful group 
of folks that we, you and I get to meet every year at the Connect X's of the world and a lot of the, right. the conventions that the telecom industry throws. You know, you said in the beginning that you started in law, you know, in law school and with an excitement around changing the world. And it looks like you're doing just that and that a career in the law field, in telecom, that that's what people have to look forward to. So I bet you, I know that you have inspired so many people today. So Kevin, where can we learn more about your law firm, Zublat Jones, and learn more about, you know, get in touch with you? Our law firm is ZublatJones.com. And all of my contact information is on there. I'd be happy to talk to anyone regarding everything we talked about today. It's 5G deployment and telecom law is near and dear to my heart. I love to have conversations with people in the industry all the time. I can feel your passion for it, Kevin. Thank you so much for being on the show. This this has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. It's my pleasure. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.